The killing of a young man has outraged the LGBTQ community in Spain. Waving the rainbow flag, thousands of protesters spilled onto the streets of several cities across Spain. Samuel Luis was beaten to death on the first weekend of July in Acaruña, a city in northwest Spain. Tensión, mucha tensión y cargas en el centro de Madrid tras la concentración por el asesinato de Samuel. His aggressors reportedly used homophobic slurs while attacking him. But the police have not yet deemed it a hate crime. Many members of the LGBTQ community in the country are in shock. When I heard about Samuel's death, it was like first going backwards in Spanish history. But this represents going back to being scared every time you go out. They're asking for the law to protect them and for Samuel's death to be classified as murder and a hate crime. In a country that projects a progressive image, LGBTQ attacks are on the rise. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today's episode includes a few instances of offensive language, including our guests using a homophobic slur and recounting the events of early July. We've decided not to remove them because they're an important part of the case that members of the LGBTQ community are trying to make to classify Samuel Luis's killing as a hate crime. My name is Begoña Gomez Urzaiz. I'm a Barcelona-based freelance journalist. I write mainly for El País and La Vanguardia newspapers. Begoña is in Barcelona, in northeast Spain. But she's been following the story out of Acaruña and wrote an opinion piece that went viral. We'll get to that in a bit. First, the details. Begoña, what do we know about Samuel Luis's case? What we know so far is that on the night of July the 3rd, this was a Saturday, Samuel Luis, who was a 24-year-old, was out with a friend uh, in a bar having fun. He left the bar for a second and they both video called another friend to tell her that they were having fun and she should join them some other night. Some guy thought that they were recording them and started a fight, a verbal fight. At this point, it seems like this person already used uh, a homophobic slur, the word maricón in Spanish, which translates to the F word in English. It's a denigrating term often used against queer people. Samuel's attacker went back into the nightclub where he gathered some more people to join him outside. What happened next was recorded by security cameras in the area. They left the bar again and they started the beating of Samuel Luis that went throughout 150 meters. They punched him, they kicked him, they pushed him on the floor and the beating went on until they killed him. It seems like there were passers-by to Senegalese people that have been identified. I tried to help him and they even took on some of the beating on his behalf. But ultimately, there was nothing to be done either by these people other people tried to help by the paramedics, but he pretty much uh, died on the spot. Several people have been detained for the crime as the investigation continues. What are authorities saying about the motive for this crime and what they believe the motive is? This is where the discrepancies start. 
From the very beginning, the authorities are claiming that this was not a hate crime, that it was not a, a homophobic crime, it was not motivated by hate primarily. And the reason why they say this is because they say they didn't know each other. And also there was no hate motivation on the part of the uh, aggressors. It was just a fight, just a misunderstanding over some recording. And what on the other side, what Samuel's friends are saying from the beginning, the witnesses that were there that night. And also after this has become a very famous case, all the LGBT community are saying that if they kill you while they're calling you homophobic slurs, it is a hate crime. What do we know about Samuel and his family? What we know is Samuel Luis was 24. He was a nurse aide at a geriatric facility where apparently he was very well loved by, by some of the residents. He had been involved in the church. His father is a member of a Pentecostal community. And he, he also had a normal social life of a 24-year-old with some friends, some of whom also belong to the LGBTQ community. Do we know if he was public about his sexuality? This point is being discussed. His friends claim that he was out and everybody who knew him knew he was gay. But it seems like it wasn't a point that was very much discussed in his family who have this conservative religious point of view. Has his family been talking to the media in the wake of this? Because I know at least his father has been quoted as making a public call for the murder of his son not to be used as a flag. What have you seen? The father did speak in the very beginning of the murder. He did say that his son shouldn't be remembered under any label or under any flag, and that people should make donations on behalf of him. That's what he would have wanted. This shouldn't become a political issue. That's what he said. So... Generally speaking, how is the press in Spain treating this matter? Are they covering it? Are they reporting on it in a way that you feel is objective? This has become a a huge case. Yes, they are reporting on it in a very polarized way. Like many other things in Spain, this has become very polarized. A lot of people, some media, some conservative media, are going out of the way to try and paint these as not a hate crime. And other more left-wing media are sort of doing the opposite. And also, at the same time, there's a parallel coverage because this has sort of opened up a door for a lot of people to talk about their own attacks. And there have been all these hashtags like Yo Maricón, me, F-word, and yo si te creo, which means I believe you. And people are using them to tell very moving and very hard stories of their own homophobic attacks. One of those people sharing the attacks he's been through is Enrique Aparicio, a journalist and activist in Madrid. LGBTQ person in Spain has suffered an episode of LGBTQ phobia. I've been insulted more times than I can remember. They hit me a couple of times. Now, the LGBTQ community is being much more vocal about the violence it receives. I think that must be what Samuel's murder triggers. It must cause a tipping point where we reshape ourselves. In Barcelona, 
Ruben Serrano is an author and journalist who focuses on LGBTQ rights. He told us how he's confronted the use of the slur against him on the streets. I was insulted with the word maricón or fucking fagot my entire life. Since I have memories, I remember young men, classmates, men who I don't know at the streets calling me maricón or marica. And I remember being ashamed by that word. I'm sure that when I was four, six, eight, ten, I wasn't really aware of what maricón really meant. But I remember how that word made me feel and made me feel ashamed of myself, ashamed of who I am, ashamed of who I love. Begonia, you are a cisgender, heterosexual woman. But one of the reasons we're talking to you is because you wrote an opinion piece for La Vanguardia, where you say, what they call you as they kill you matters. And it went viral all over Spain. Can you tell me about that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm very glad you framed it this way, because then you give me an opportunity to say that my voice is not the important one to be heard on this, like... The important voices to be heard about these are the voices of the activists who have been working on behalf of this for years. And also of all these new voices who are writing their own personal stories under these hashtags. In my case, I wrote this column very much in a fit of rage. I wrote it very quickly on Monday morning as I was hearing all these conflicting reports on what had gone on in Coruña. Yeah, it did go viral, apparently, uh, pretty quickly. By the end of that day, there were several demonstrations all over Spain, and some people even wrote this sentence that I had written on banners. Lo que te llaman cuando te matan importa, what they call you as they kill you matters, has apparently become a bit of a slogan for this protest, of which I'm glad for as journalists. When you write something that happens to be useful for people, it's moving, and I'm glad for it. Yeah. What were you thinking as you wrote it? What did you mean? What I meant is, even if it, this is not ends up not being legally classified as a hate crime, even if these people who killed someone, Luis, didn't go out that night saying, I'm going to kill me some homosexuals, if this is what came out of their mouths while they were exercising the violence, that immediately classifies it as a hate crime. That's sort of what I meant. The the other two sentences that I mixed in in that little paragraph are many women have heard the word puta, you know, stop you. It's this law usually used against women. And many men have heard the word manicón before being killed. This is the last thing they hear before being killed. And this was important to me because to me, the two things are very much linked and they're part of the same problem. They are part of patriarchal violence, and both things are linked. The LGBT community and women are victims of the same violence. We asked Begonia how common reports about attacks on members of the LGBTQ community are in Spain. There seems that there's been a surge in homophobic attacks in the last few weeks. There's been a few reported in different cities, really all over the geography in Spain, not only in small places or, or smaller places, also in big cities like Madrid, Valencia and, and Barcelona. So there seems to be a surge and it also seems like they're being reported more. But how do verbal and physical attacks and repression 
affect the members of a community. We called someone who studied this in Spain. My name is Mateo Sancho Cardiel, and I am an assistant professor at Hostos Community College in New York. I also teach at Pratt Institute and Fordham University. Mateo is a Spanish national living in New York City. He's also a journalist and a sociologist and a member of the LGBTQ community. And he did a comparison study about the process of aging for gay men in New York and Madrid. So we asked him how discrimination can shape the life of an LGBTQ person. The long-term consequences of discrimination, what I've seen in my research, is a, most of all an emotional consequence. We see the LGBTQI community pretty comfortable with the idea of embracing their sexuality. Sex life, for specifically for gay men, has been almost uh, a political weapon. But the truth is that uh, we are still trying to rebuild our personal connections, our emotional wellness. We are still suffering from that idea of putting aside our intimacy in dark places, in hidden places in general. And this takes us back to that idea of not showing off our feelings in front of other people, being scared about being who we are. And when you are in your elderly years, it is very important to have an emotional fabric in your life. For Mateo, Spanish society has an issue when it comes to self-perception. This is another wake-up call that tells us that when we do those zero to 100 movements, like from being homophobic to legalize equal marriage and adoption. We are on denial sometimes. We are like leaving behind our history and Spain's still that country where we deny that we did a genocide in America. We still think that we did a, a great transition from dictatorship to democracy. And now we see that a young generation is nostalgic for an era that they didn't live and they think that Franco was a peaceful moment in our history, which is insane. And also in today we see that in terms of racism, for instance, Spain doesn't consider itself a country that is racist when it's denying first our history as part of the uh, Islam culture for centuries. And second, like how we treat people from Morocco, how we treat people from Latin America that are living in Spain, in a country where still people think that it's a, a country full of uh, white Spaniards, which is not the case. Mateo says that, in a way, moving from the Franco era to a more liberated time in the present day has made many turn a blind eye to big issues in Spanish society. We thought that everybody was accepting after Zapatero's legislation about gay marriage and all the TV shows have gay or lesbian characters, which is great. But the truth is that we haven't really digged in the wound. We are drastically jumping to modernity. And of course, this comes with a toll that in this case, Samuel paid and all the alt-right movement is represented. All those ghosts, all those things that we never wanted to face. At the end, if you don't study history properly, history repeats itself. He also thinks that the LGBTQ movement has forgotten about the struggles. I think the gay movement in Spain also decided to forget what we've been going through for years. 
we embraced totally the idea of the hedonistic part of the gay pride. So I think the positive outcome of this, it is we can rewind a little bit and we can restart a movement. And my generation is more aware than never that we have to fight in a different way. That is not all about fun and being attractive. So we have to realize that it is important to start from scratch, to have diversity inside our minority and to be able to be yourself and not being the gay that is accepted. We brought this thought about Spain's self-perception back to Begonia Gomez. Since the end of the Franco regime, Spain has been seen as a progressive country in the West. Why is it so hard to cover things like this for the press? Spain has this problem of self-perception, I think. Spain likes to see itself, likes to put a mirror onto itself and see a very progressive face. And it's even bothersome for people to hear this word Franco, especially from international media. Like there are even jokes sometimes about how the New York Times, every time they write about Spain, in the second sentence, you're going to see the word Franco pop out. And people get bothered by that because they're like, well, this dictator died over four years ago. We're a new country. We're consolidated democracy and an especially progressive one. This doesn't erase the fact, for example, that at the moment there are over 50 members of a very extreme far-right party who are sitting in the parliament as we speak. So this is a problem, and this is one of the cases that sort of brings up this uncomfortable reality that maybe the country is not as progressive as it thinks it is, and it's better to face the reality than to pretend it's not happening. Do you think that there are signs that the country is beginning to face reality versus pretend that things aren't happening? Or is the opposite true? I think what is going on with this case is going to set a precedent and there's probably going to be a before and after. And I see a a similarity with a similar case that got some international coverage. You probably remember it, the case of La Manada. This was a gang rape that happened in a very famous festival in the San Fermín Festival in Pamplona. Um, What happened there is this 18-year-old girl was gang-raped by five guys. And then the case wasn't even classified as a rape. It was classified as sexual abuse, which was a more minor crime in the Spanish legislation. This prompted a huge response. There were feminist demonstrations for months all over Spain, and this became a a very major case that set up a precedent and that raised awareness about sexual violence against women. And I do think this case is going to set up a precedent about homophobic violence and what constitutes homophobic violence. How do you think that the present political scenario in Spain is shaping this conversation? What we have in Spain at the moment is a similar situation to what's happening in, in many other European countries and other countries in the Western world, which is we have a resurgence of the far right. There is this uh, far right political party called Vox that has at the moment over 50 seats in parliament since the last election. And what they've done is they've broken the consensus on many issues and they've generated what they call the shameless right wing. 
So it's now okay to say things or to write things that was not that it was not okay to write or say 10 years ago. And this does change things, I think. We saw a video that also became viral in the Basque countries. Very young kids recording themselves in a video, very proudly speaking about how many homosexuals would they kill with their bare hands. Wow. We're talking 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds in their shared flat, in their dingy little kitchen. I'm pretty convinced this would not have happened even five years ago. Box has created a climate where these kids are not ashamed to say this and to even say it in front of a camera to broadcast it and in their own social networks. I think this is pretty tragic because if this becomes normal, aggressions become normal. So as a journalist, but also as an ally of the LGBTQ community, what do you think should happen for instances cases like this to be treated differently or to not happen at all? I think there should be more awareness about what constitutes a hate crime. And I think there should be a major re-education of the justice system. Also of the police, it's become very clear the way they're dealing with this case. They are not prepared. They are not educated in what constitutes hate crime. And also... There should be more awareness for the general public. And for Mateo Sancho, the journalist and sociologist, it's personal. I've spent the last week really trying to uh, put together all the feelings that were like coming out uh, in a very uh, chaotic way. And I think we, little by little we are doing it and we are realizing that there's a lot to do after this. And and. Hopefully, this will have a positive outcome for, for the community and for the approach that we have to our fight for being simply respected. Respected us as we are. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez, with Nagin Oliay, Dina Kispe, Priyanka Tobe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer. Tom Fenton is our story editor. And Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. Special thanks to Juan Hey Gomez, Sofia Ruiz de Velasco, and Delia Rodriguez. We'll be back on Monday. <laughs>